Hi everyone, welcome back to another podcast episode. This week I am so excited because I have my first guest on the podcast for a really long time. You may know her on Instagram. She goes by I am Anna Surrey. I will link her Instagram here in the show notes. But Anna teaches a non-diet approach to overcome food challenges such as binge eating, overeating and emotional eating. She assists women to relearn how to trust their bodies to make food choices that feel good for them without judgment and without shame. Anna struggled for 20 years with a wide range of disordered eating behaviors, health and weight obsession, exercise addiction, and body dysmorphia. That all changed once she discovered how to trust her body through the freedom of intuitive eating. For the first time, Anna experienced confidence, well-being, and feeling truly at home in her body like never before. Since then, she has been working with women in her one-to-one and group mentorship program, Food Freedom Solution. Anna combines a wide range of techniques and tools to help her clients overcome their own personal food and eating challenges without dieting or food restrictions. So let's dive into today's episode. I'm so excited for you all to hear this one. Hi everyone and welcome to the Feel Your Bowl podcast. Each week I'm going to bring you new episodes which will inspire you to jump out of your comfort zone and ditch society's expectations of what's normal. This podcast is designed for anyone who wants to fill up their bowl in all areas of their life, whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually or emotionally. If you're finally ready to jump on the self-love train and opt out of what society expects of you, then you're in the right place. I want to bring you raw and honest conversations on mental health, relationships, navigating life in your 20s and healing your relationship with food, exercise and your body and lots more. Grab a coffee, turn the volume up and let's get started with today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and remember, what's the one thing you'll regret not doing when you're 80 years old? Now go do it. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. Thank you, Lauren. I'm super excited. I always say I just anyone who's happy to hear me talk about this or happy to hear a conversation about these topics I could talk about it forever uh, I really love it so me I'm so too. happy to have you yeah <laughs> and you have been my first guest in a really long time so I'm so really? excited I haven't had a guest on the podcast because I've been studying so much over the past six months or so. So I haven't had a guest in a really long time. So I'm so excited to connect with you today and discuss all things body image and food challenges as well. Wow, I feel even more honored. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd love for you to start off by sharing a little bit about yourself so we can get to know you and the listeners can get to know you. Yeah, sure. So I, I mean, I came to this work like so many people in this space through personal experience. I mean, it's often like that in the healing space that we go through something very painful and then we have a transformation or a healing and it's impacting or it has impacted our lives in such a big way that we feel that we want to share that with other people because it was so valuable to us. And that was the same for me. Uh, I, I actually, when I was a teenager, I went to the States. So I was born and grew up in Germany and I did a school exchange in America. And 
as a teenager and I remember going there and just being so excited with all the foods like the grilled cheeses the taco bells all the takeaway the drive-throughs the pizza you know it was just a whole new experience because in Germany I'd never been surrounded by that so I was eating a lot of food and when I came back home uh, to Germany I realized I'd gained weight and I knew that because none of my clothes my previous clothes were fitting me anymore and so I just did what was kind of the most normal thing in air quotes oh you just lose the weight and how do you do that oh you just eat less and exercise more and that was really the beginning which very quickly uh, turned into full-blown anorexia uh, and it was so interesting because this is quite a long time ago now my parents were totally overwhelmed with knowing how to support me uh, they had no idea that it's not like today where it's talked about more more openly uh, where there was a lot more support systems in place um, so they pretty much did everything wrong because not to blame them but just because they were in the dark and they didn't know how to deal with me so I never really officially healed from that it just kind of got swept under the carpet and then uh, it just morphed into a whole range of other disordered eating behaviors so from the anorexic state I went into the other extreme which is often the case to binge eating disorder uh, which then morphed into orthorexia which is the unhealthy obsession with healthy eating so then everything just became about what's the cleanest way to eat uh, you know just googling for hours on end searching for the perfect diet doing all the cleanses all the detoxes all the fasts and at the same time parallel to that was just this complete obsession with my body and what I looked like uh, and it was so all-consuming that it just felt like my life was just about that and I couldn't fully enjoy or fully be present or fully relax into the life experience that I was having, uh, which I didn't fully understand at the time. It's only looking back when I see the contrast, the difference of what it's like to live on the other end. Back then, it was, um, yeah, just this, this current that was constantly running through me and causing so much stress and so much uh, self-low esteem that affected my, my marriage. I was married for a long time and um, yeah, it just made me really miserable. And it was sort of uh, probably in my th around 34, 35 that uh, I really hit total rock bottom where I was down to eating one meal a day because I was doing the intermittent fasting and I had to stretch out the window in the mornings and at dinner time. And I was, uh, I was working at the time as a Pilates teacher. So that was what my career was. I was deeply influenced also by the fitness industry, which was obviously not helping, but making everything worse. I was wa uh, working in front of mirrors all day long and, you know, surrounded by other people who more than likely had their own issues with their own body. Um, so I just got to that place where it just felt like it was never going to end. And I kind of realized, I remember that moment I had to just, eaten a whole tub of ice cream, I think in the space of three minutes was feeling horrible and sick, you know, physically sick and just so unhappy and so miserable and so hopeless. It was kind of this, the darkest, deepest place of desperation of what is wrong with me? I've been doing this for almost 20 years. Why can't I 
get a hang of this uh, that I then realized, okay, I want to have kids at some point. I hadn't had my period in over two years. Uh, and yeah, I was exhausted. I was mentally and physically exhausted. And I learned then later that women get to this rock bottom place, which is usually when things start to turn around. And I discovered that world of anti-diet and intuitive eating. And seriously, I just, I came across this uh, post on Instagram, I think, where they were talking about uh, anti-diet. And I was like, what is that? I'd never heard of it before. And it was, it was like this massive relief to realize, oh, I'm not the only one who's struggling like I've been struggling because I always thought that was just me. You know, so many, so many of us, we just do everything in hiding because we're so ashamed of our behaviors. Uh, you know, that those times, for example, I had phases where I would go Monday to Friday, sugar-free, eat clean and air quotes. And then the weekends was just, you can eat whatever you want. So the weekends were basically Saturday, Sunday binges. And I'm talking about like eating two cakes a day type thing. And I was, you know, come Sunday night, I was feeling horrible, which is always why I said, okay, as of tomorrow, you know, I'm, I'm back on eating sugar-free and no cakes and all that kind of thing. And at least I kind of felt I was doing some kind of damage control, but it was just a horrible feeling. And I never shared that with anyone because I was so ashamed of it because I thought there was something inherently wrong with me. So discovering this whole community of women who were totally talking my language. They were describing things that I'd experienced. And uh, it was an incredible feeling for me, uh, which then really inspired me to change. Because then I realized, oh, okay, I don't have to restrict food. I don't have to focus on my body. It's not all about losing weight. There is another way to live, which was really, really liberating, which then brought me onto the path of healing and I got a support system in place and uh, yeah, that then led me to, the, to do the work that I do today. Thank you so much for sharing that. I relate to so much of what you just said. And I guess, did you ever work with someone? Yes, I did work with someone. Yes. Was that at the end or did you, because I know you mentioned when you first came back from the US, you came back to Germany, you noticed you had gained weight. Did you work with someone back then or is it more? No, 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 no. The, the working happened almost 20 years later when I decided I want to stop, stop this whole food mess and this, this body shame. I just really wanted to, to, yeah, find a different way. And um, I started then working with, an intuitive eating and body image coach mm. uh, to guide me. Yeah. Because even, because even just a little side note here, but even a lot of therapists I found were not um, familiar with the anti-diet approach. So it was still a bit fat phobic and they wouldn't really get, you know, you'd say, yeah, I'm, you know, in the early stages of recovery, you know, it's all about allowing foods, giving yourself full permission to eat all foods and for me, that was a lot of food at the beginning because I'd had almost two decades worth of restriction. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talking to a therapist sometimes can then look like, oh, well, that's probably not good and you probably shouldn't eat that. And right, that can kind of backfire. Yeah. So to me, it was really important to work with someone who's anti-diet uh, and intuitive eating informed. Yes, you have to find the right person. I actually had a really negative experience with one therapist that it was a, a Zoom call that we were doing. And I 
kind of burst into tears and told her what had been going on with me same with you I'd got to a point where I was just like I need help here and she just sort of said well look at you you're fine like you you're you look fine I don't understand why you have these issues with your body like um and she was living in a larger body and she could of course see that I was living in a much smaller body and I just don't think she was familiar with uh, the anti-diet space and so that was that to me made me feel like oh my gosh maybe maybe I'm just overreacting here maybe it's just me maybe I am fine and that was just a really negative experience and I, I just want to say if anyone has had a negative experience with a therapist like that you're not the only one and there is someone out there that can help you and you've just got to find that right person sometimes you have to go through a few a few people um, until you find one person that can help you and I wanted to talk a little bit about your uh, Pilates days so you mentioned you're a Pilates instructor and I guess I'm interested to know, were you attaching your identity to being the fit one or being the the active one? Did that come into your thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's interesting because when I first started to work as a Pilates teacher was sort of in my early 20s, uh, which is before Pilates became this trend in the fitness world and it was more used for rehabilitation, which is mm. what I used it for. I was working in a physiotherapy clinic and I was working with people with injuries. Uh, you know, it was all about retraining muscles. It was all about becoming aware of your body. It was all very slow paced. It wasn't about toning your butt or getting a flat stomach, right? It was very different. It was a different demographic. And then over the years, it just transformed into, I feel like it was hijacked by the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. And then it became about sculpting and shaping, right? Pilates classes are not called sculpt, for example. It's totally ridiculous. Um, but, you know, another story. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so it was interesting because when I first started that work, for me, it was a different, there was a different motivation behind it. Right. But then as I, as things got worse for me over the years, um I then started to also work in different studios where there was more focus on changing your body. And I always felt a huge amount of pressure to look a certain way as an instructor because I thought, okay, I have this image to uphold for everybody else. I can't be an image of health and fitness if I'm in a bigger body or if I have roles, especially around my stomach, right? Pilates is always so... uh, kind of associated with core strength, which is a flat stomach, which again, it's it's not even true, but that's just what we've been taught and what we believe. So I felt a, a very, very big pressure to have a flat stomach. Um, and I carried a deep shame around my stomach because my stomach mm-hmm. has never been, even already as a teenager, my stomach was always sticking out a little bit and it has never been naturally flat. So I was just on this quest to get my stomach as flat as possible, which then led me to this eating one meal a day business, right? So yes, I did feel that huge, uh, that attaching my identity to being in a specific body in order to be a Pilates teacher. Mm -hmm. And I saw it with all the other instructors, uh, you know, also in gyms, huge pressure, uh, for so many, whereas it's it makes me really sad because it would be so wonderful if we had all different shapes and sizes in the instructor field so that other people yeah. 
who come to classes felt like, oh, I can be fit and I can be healthy and I can enjoy movement even if I don't look like a supermodel. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that I love, I've been doing a lot of reformer Pilates lately. And I think yes. it's interesting that you said that Pilates actually, it started as something that you did for rehabilitation, then it diet culture hijacked it. <laughs> as diet culture does, it takes something and turns it into, turns it toxic. <laughs> um, but I've been doing a lot of reformer Pilates lately. And one thing that I love about the studio I go to, there are instructors that are all sizes. And so you look around the class and there are also people that attend the class that are all sizes because people feel like they can go to those classes when they can see their own body represented in the instructor. They feel included and they feel more comfortable going to those classes. So yes, I I think what you said there, it, it would be amazing if we could see more more just different shapes and sizes feeling comfortable doing these types of exercises absolutely and and really creating safety you know because that's so important when we move because moving our bodies is about well-being and it's about connecting with our bodies it's about feeling our bodies and it's really hard to do that when you don't feel like you're in a safe environment Mm -hmm. because there's threats by thin people or people that trigger you uh, and then it kind of defeats the whole purpose of why you're going there in the Mm -hmm. first place so so I'm sure everyone would want to know the answer to this question. How did you separate the idea that you that, that your self-worth was attached to having a flat stomach? How did you let go of this desire mm. for a flat stomach? Because I was the exact same. It was all about having a flat stomach. I was doing YouTube videos that was titled... Uh, abs in seven days <laughs> how did you like go of that that desire to have that flat stomach yeah so I think first of all like it, do, it like it applies to so many of these topics when it comes to food and eating and body image is an understanding of why do I want a flat stomach in the first place you know because we we hardly ever ask these questions oh why am I spending 30 years going from diet to diet why do I want to lose weight? I mean, it's a legitimate question. So we got to go a little bit deeper and understand that, that that desire to want to have a flat stomach is not something that we're born with. I mean, if you look at babies, they just happily out in the world with their very round bellies and very chubby thighs, and they don't have a meltdown about it. And actually, we all consider it's very cute. Mm-hmm. Right? So something changes, uh, a different awareness develops where we become more self-conscious of our bodies and we stop inhabiting our bodies. And like I just said before, experiencing our bodies from the inside out and instead look at our bodies from the outside in as an object. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that is not something that we're born with, like I just said, but something that we're being taught by society. So that's a huge aspect of this is just our conditioning by what we're surrounded with. I did a post the other day where I went clothes shopping and it was, you know, slightly triggering being in the mirror with all the lighting and everything. And I had to just kind of coach myself through that. And then when I walked out of the shop that I was in, I was just looking around at all the shop windows with all the images of the perfect women with the perfect flat stomach and smooth skin. And then I just kind of had like a laugh out loud moment where I went, oh yeah, I'm struggling with this because of all of that, of all that's around me already as a kid, I was playing with my Barbie dolls who had a flat stomach and the perfect body, of course. Right. So we have to understand where this actually comes from. And then we got to make that conscious choice of, okay, 
this is a reality, you know, uh, people get praised for losing weight, people get praised for having a certain body shape and size. Uh, that is just the truth. That's a fact. What do I want to do with that? Because I can take my power back from that and I can go, okay, when I subscribe to that reality and if I get sucked into that world from my own experience, I know that was mentally and physically very unhealthy for me because it drove me into some very disordered behaviors around food. It put my health at risk mentally and physically and it made me a depressed and miserable and lonely. So that's the price that I had to pay in order to have a flat stomach. Am I prepared to pay that price for the rest of my life? Because it's not like I do this crazy restriction once for three mm -hmm. months and then it's going to stay that way. Is this actually sustainable? Mm -hmm. And then it comes down to my values. Okay, what's really important for me? So there's just a few deeper questions that we got to ask ourselves. And then once we understand it and once we get really clear what it is that we want and what our motivation behind our behaviors are, then we can move forward and go, okay, this is probably not going to be a piece of cake. It's going to be challenging. You know, I was healing and I still taught Pilates. So my body was changing. I was in front of 20 or 30 people in classes uh, with my tights and in front of a mirror. And that was really confronting. That was really painful. I had many meltdowns in the bathroom before and after the classes because people are also very happy to tell me, oh, Anna, you've gained weight, right? As people love to do. So, but for me, I was so clear, you know, I was so sure no matter what it took, I wanted to heal because of the hell that I'd been through. And I thought I'd be damned if the rest of my life is going to be a repeat of the last 20 years. I was just done with that. And I think it really does take that conviction mm. to just go, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not prepared to pay that price. And I just want to be at peace with myself no matter what happens. Yeah, I love what you said there about just not like asking yourself those deeper questions and like asking yourself, am I willing to do this for the rest of my life? Because that is the reality of it. If you continue where you are currently at right now, like, are you happy to do that for the rest of your life? And a lot of the time, I mean, for me, no, I, the answer was no for me, uh, which is why I, I knew I had to do the work to heal my relationship with food. So I think for anyone listening, that is a really great question to ask yourself and to just recognize food is going to be there for your entire life. Food is going to be all around you. You can't get away from it. You need food to survive. So do you want to spend the rest of your life with food as the enemy or do you want to do the work to befriend it because I always say it's going to be maybe a year of discomfort trying to heal your relationship with food and your body for a lifetime of freedom and for me that was so worth it so you really have to ask yourself do you want to go through the next year yes it's going to be uncomfortable there's no mm. doubt about it it is uncomfortable yeah. work but the the payoff is amazing like once you once you've done that work and you've reached your end goal having a healthy relationship with food the freedom that you have is just next to none like it's the best yes feeling. like I always say no one no one no one that I've heard of or met or talked to who has healed says to me oh I wish I could go back to dieting and think about food all day and hate my body and exactly. you know not go outside or go to the beach no one ever says that Exactly. Uh, and there's obviously a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you're a you're a food and body image coach. Mm -hmm. What are some of the main challenges that clients come to you with when it comes to food and their body? 
Yeah, so, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of what I shared at the beginning of what my experience was is some of the things that clients or women that come to me present with as well. So that might be a, a huge fear and panic and anxiety around gaining weight, not being able to lose weight. Um, so that, that intense focus on their appearance and identification with their bodies. Uh, and then that goes paired together with their food relationship. So again, these all-consuming, obsessive food thoughts that never stop, always going from diet to diet, always just trying to find a way to get things under control, get their eating under control and get their weight under control. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes also their health. So they always, not always, but a lot of the times um, can be, like I said, this the orthorexia, uh, you know, kind of feel where there is a obsession with being healthy and eating perfectly and doing a lot of cleanses, a lot of detoxes and always feeling like they need to cleanse more. So that's very common as well. So these, these topics often go hand in hand. A lot of women that come to me as well struggle with overeating and or binge eating. So this, this feeling out of control with food. So in their own words, they might often say, I'm addicted to sugar, for example, or I'm addicted to carbs. Um, I, don't, I can't even have it in the house because once I start, I can't stop. I don't trust myself with this food. There's no trust in regards to their bodies. So I, I again, you know, like I did, damage control. I'm just not going to surround myself with the food. So I'm not tempted because when I start, again, all hell breaks loose. So these are sort of more of the common uh, problems. So if someone comes to you and they say, I just can't stop thinking about food 24-7, I'm addicted to food, and again, I can't have this food in my house, what's your first approach to that? So again, a lot of it is just that ed educational piece to understand, oh, there is a perfect, beautiful reason why I feel this way around food. It's it's a it's a sign that your body is working perfectly mm -hmm. because your body is set for survival it's set up for survival it's like when you breathe you know you can hold your breath for a certain amount of time but at some point your body's drive for survival is going to win uh, and, and even if you're really good at holding your breath for like five minutes you know if you hold the breath holding record at some point you're going to have to breathe again and it's just, just going to be this little it's going to be this big you know gasping for air because you've been restricting your body of oxygen so it wants to get a lot back in and it's the same thing with food if you restrict 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 your body's survival drive will want to counteract and get food into you in order to keep you alive mm -hmm. so when we experience this feeling out of control with food most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, it is because there is some form of restriction going on. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been taught by diet culture as well, like how to suppress your appetite. And there used to be all of these mm. posts and uh, drinks that you can have or supplements you can have that will suppress your appetite. So we've been taught that hunger is bad and we shouldn't give yes. in to hunger. And I always say, well, it, it if you need to go to the toilet, you will go to the toilet. You won't say, hold up, I need to wait 10 minutes until I, I go to the toilet. But when it comes to eating, it's so common. I mean, I used to do this as well. And I know many people I've spoken to, they would 
get hungry at 12 p.m. But then say, I can't eat lunch until 12.30 p.m. Because that's that's the time my meal plan says I have to eat lunch. Or that's just, that's just the time I eat lunch. And maybe you're stuck in a routine and you feel like you have to eat breakfast, lunch and dinner at the exact same times every single day. And we've just been conditioned by diet culture that hunger is bad. When hunger is not bad, like you said, it is your body's way of keeping you alive. Your body needs food. It needs all of your macro and micronutrients in order to survive and function optimally. So if you're hungry, that's a really good sign that your body is doing its job. (laughs) Your your body, body is working for you, not against you. I always say that your body is doing everything it can to keep you alive. Exactly. You know, I think the the problem is that food has become the enemy. So hunger has become the enemy because in our minds, food equals fat on our bodies. So mm-hmm. then we think, oh, the less I eat, the thinner, the less fat on my body. And it's just, you know, that that's kind of where the problem starts. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to speak a little bit about body dysmorphia because I know you mentioned it something that you have experienced as well so what is body dysmorphia and how how did it show up for you in your life yeah I was actually just talking about that yesterday um, in an interview and we talked a lot about body dysmorphia and I I always say before going into body dysmorphia let's actually define body image because that kind of comes first so because a lot of people think my body image is me standing in front of the mirror and going you look great today right or you look down on yourself and go I'm hot you know, it's, it's, we think it's about what we see or what our body looks like, but it's actually the perception that we have of our bodies. Uh, and usually we look at it through a lens that is not a true representation of what our body actually looks like. Yeah. But body image is also how we think other people see us. So again, we often, uh, instead of being in our body while we're doing something, we wonder, what do I look like doing this to others, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so when we then look at what is negative body image or poor body image, that is then a distorted or unrealistic view of either our entire body or certain parts. For example, for me, it was my stomach and it was this obsession with having a flat stomach. And one of the habits that took me so long, I'm talking a couple of years to let go of was this habit I was doing religiously every morning. I just automatically lifted up my shirt to look at my stomach every morning. Is it flat? Me too. Me too. Oh my gosh. It's it's funny you say that. I've never actually spoken about that to anyone. Mm. I, yeah. yeah, I did the exact same thing. And every single mirror that I walked past, I would have to check what my stomach looked like. Yes. I would have to look at my yes. top and check what my stomach looked like in that mirror. That was a really hard habit to let go of for me. Yes, well. absolutely. And I, I, like I just said, you know, even it, two years into my healing, I would catch myself just doing it and going, what are you doing? You know, that's also mm-hmm. just a little side note. Uh, you know, a great example of how some of these habits and behaviors are so deeply ingrained and memorized by our bodies. It just takes time to undo that. So that was my my piece of the negative body image that I was obsessed with what my body looked like. So some of the symptoms of negative body image or poor body image is that shame or guilt uh, and anxiety around the appearance, what our body looks like. So guilt is really interesting 
um, I noticed that a lot in my classes. So clients would come to me and say, oh, excuse my round belly, another belly example. Sorry, I've really let myself go. So they would apologize for their bodies. Oh, oh I'm so sorry. My, my thighs are so big. Um, I know it's disgusting. Sorry. You know, just this kind of guilt about their mm-hmm. appearance. Um, also, often negative body image is associated with feeling uncomfortable in your body or feeling awkward somehow. Yeah. And then um, always feeling like I'm never thin enough. I'm never beautiful enough. My body's never toned enough or fit enough. And then, of course, that association of my self-worth is dependent on my the size and shape of my body. So these are some of the symptoms of poor body image. And then if we're talking about body dysmorphic disorder, then it's taken to the extreme, which was the case for me, where your negative body image and your obsession with that turns or affects every other area of your life. It kind of takes over your work, uh, your relationships, your mental health, your every waking or maybe even sleeping thought. So it's like something has taken hold of you and all you can think about is what your body looks like. Your partner's not allowed to touch you. Um, you're hiding yourself, you're not going to the beach, you're not going out to dinner, you're not going to a party because you're so ashamed of what your body looks like. Um, You can't do your work properly because this is all so all-consuming. So that's then what, you know, when we take poor body image to the extreme, that's then the body dysmorphic disorder. For someone listening to this, if they are listening and thinking that is ex- that's me, that is exactly what I think about myself, that is what I'm going through right now, body dysmorphia really is affecting mm-hmm. all areas of my life. What what should they do? What what are the the next steps for them? And I know that is a very <laughs> difficult question to answer in like five minutes. But what what should this person start yeah. thinking about? What should they start doing? And how can they start asking themselves different questions to overcome this and move forward with their life? So I think it kind of comes back a little bit to what we said at the beginning, where you got to ask yourself, what, what do I want? And how is this affecting my life? And what's the price I am paying? You know, how am I, how is how I feel about my body? How is my obsession or my, my intense focus on food and diet and weight and body and health serving me? Is it making my life a better and happier and more fulfilled experience? Or is it taking away from my happiness and fulfillment? That is, I think, always the first question to ask. Because if someone's going, yeah, I've dieted 20 years and I I, I haven't touched sugar in a year and um, I'm working out religiously and I have my eating schedule and I'm so happy. Like, I love life. Everything is amazing. I'm like, great continue right but if you are realizing "Mm, life isn't so great Uh, I'm feeling pretty tired of all of this Uh, I struggle constantly with these food thoughts Um, I'm always worried about eating the wrong thing I might have some digestive issues Um, I'm having some of the symptoms we just discussed associated with poor body image and I'm just kind of feeling like I don't know what else to do anymore I always say that's a good place to start to uh, just to just look at some other information because then we're open. You know, a lot of the times dieters 
um, or the so-called health nuts and air quotes are very much type A personalities. It's very black or white. Um, and they can, you know, I, I always say I was, I felt like I was in a cult, you know, when it came to healthy eating, bread, for mm-hmm. example, just going, yeah. bread is the enemy. Bread is going to give you brain disease and I'm never touching bread ever again for the, my, the rest of my life. And all of you around me, you also need to stop eating bread. And if you don't stop eating mm-hmm. bread, well, then you're not as good as me. Right. So mm-hmm. we got to come off that high horse and show some humility and go, ah, you know, I'm going to put my head up and go, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was extreme. And actually now I can see that wasn't so healthy for me mentally and physically. You know, I think that's really important to be in that place. And then we can start to open up to some new possibilities. So I would suggest get some books. You know, there's there's the classic intuitive eating book. There's a great book by Christy Harrison called Anti-Diet. Uh, educate yourself and and just mm-hmm. expose yourself to some new information and try to stay open-minded. And then if you want to take it further and if you realize, oh, I'm, I, I want to change this, but I'm, I have the theory down. I've read the books and I've listened to the podcast, but I'm finding it hard to apply because it's not easy to apply it. It's a whole nother ball game. Then I would always say reach out for help and get some support. Absolutely. I think you can try and do it on your own. You can do all the things to try and do it on your own, but there is nothing like working with someone who can help you with the practical step. Because like you said, you can consume all the content, which is a great first step, like consuming the content, exposing yourself to different ideas, different perceptions. But at some point, you have to put that into practice. You can't just listen to all the podcasts, follow all the Instagram accounts, but not actually change anything in your life. Correct. You have to actually make changes. And that's the difficult part. And that is when you need support and you need people around you that you can speak to about what is going on with you. And you know you have their support with it as well. We are our own biggest critics and when it comes to body dysmorphia I think we can often think that other people are judging us for the way that we look and how we look doing certain things if we're in an exercise class like we think other people are judging us when a lot of the time people aren't actually people don't care people aren't judging judging you and you're probably if you are someone in this mindset judging other people as well so again what do, what are your thoughts around other people because you might often have a thought that if you are going through body dysmorphia that gaining weight is bad and so you might be judging people that you see out on the street or just in your life that are living in a larger body and thinking like I don't know judging them for whatever they they might look like so addressing those thoughts as well and realizing there is nothing wrong with living in a larger body we all have different genetics that make us live in different bodies and so just recognizing that you actually can't always control your weight and just letting your body be the way it wants to be instead of trying to control your body to be the weight that you want it to be <laughs> absolutely 1000 percent. i just before i go into that that so many thoughts are coming i just wanted to sort of backtrack a little bit and just add one other thing in regards to your previous question mm. about what people should do and and reaching out for help and support because mm. I think this is really important to to add on to that. We use diets and perceived weight control and food control in order 
oh, it's like a band-aid, you know, it's a coping mechanism. And when we remove that, some stuff will come up, some uncomfortable stuff, because we've been trying to hold it all together in order not to feel that stuff. So when we then, when we can't run to the diet to feel like we're in control of something, or when we can't focus all of our energy onto, I'm going to lose five pounds in the next month or whatever it might be, and then just put all our energy into that goal. When we stop thinking about food all the time because we eat enough and our bodies doesn't our body doesn't need to think about food anymore when we take all of that away some emotions are going to arise probably some emotions that have been kind of pushed down for a really long time because a lot of people again they've dieted for a really long time and to navigate that all by yourself mm. i don't think it's really possible to be honest so really wanted just to make that point of, uh, yeah, support in the healing of this is really, really important because a lot of the times people will come to me and go, oh, this intuitive eating doesn't work and oh, this is all BS, right? But it's just because they've been trying to go it alone and then they just end up basically having a binge for two years and they go yeah I'm still binging right because things haven't been addressed properly so I just kind of wanted to add, add that on um, yeah that is a really great point yes and so when we talk about uh, comparing ourselves uh, I think it's coming back to what we said a little bit earlier the objectification of the self uh, we, we objectify ourselves so coming back to the baby with the chubby thighs mm. and the round belly it doesn't objectify itself, you know, mm -hmm. it can just happily be on the beach, butt naked, playing in the sand, having the time of his or her life. And it's not thinking, oh, there's a lady on a towel over there. She's looking at me. I should probably suck in my stomach, right? It's ridiculous. So we, we really want to come back to a place where we experience our bodies again, as opposed to worrying about what it looks like to others. So again, having that insight is super important. So if we're walking down the street and we pass a woman in a thinner body and we feel something, first of all, we're objectifying her as well because we do it with ourselves. So we're not seeing her as a human being. We're seeing her, her as a body. Mm -hmm. And then we just do the mental check. Okay. This is her upper body, this is her stomach, this is her butt, this is her thighs, this is her cellulite. Yep, so this is different. You know, we just do the all the we run through all the list and comparing which parts of her body is different to ours. And then depending which parts are in quotes better or worse, we either feel good or bad about ourselves. So again, we're not meeting this person as a person, we're meeting this person as a body. Um, that's really important to understand. And this is a, you know, I always call these poor body image moment. It's a trigger, just like it could be a trigger when you see a photograph of yourself and you go, whoa, this is what I look like. This is really confronting. Mm -hmm. Or when you're putting on a, an item of clothing that doesn't fit anymore, also confronting. And then it's that moment that is an amazing opportunity to go deeper because what we normally do in these moments is we want to fix it. So, you know, we, are, we then probably go, oh, my God, I need to go home and I need to Google what's the best diet to lose weight fast or I need to go to the gym or I need to skip dinner. So we just go right into fix it mode. 
So we don't have to feel, that's kind of coming back to what I was saying before, we don't have to feel what's actually coming up. But again, it's a gift that we have in that moment if we can just go, oh, I'm being really triggered by this woman because she looks like this. <sighs> okay, where do I feel that in my body? What emotions are coming up? What thoughts are coming up? Can I just be with that for a moment? A lot of the time, a lot of tears might come, a release might come. And then we realize, oh, this is, you know, in the work with clients, when they have a triggering moment, we explore what's behind it. Oh, then it's about, okay, it's actually not about that woman. It's about me um, having had an argument with my partner and I'm afraid that he's not going to love me anymore because I don't look like that. Or I'm by myself and I'm afraid no man is ever going to find me attractive. I'm going to die alone. So the, the problem, the pain point isn't actually, oh, my stomach isn't as flat as hers. It's I'm going to die alone. And that's where the work is. Again, mm -hmm. this is the stuff that we haven't wanted to feel. Mm -hmm. So we're never going to address any of these deeper pain points just by trying to get a flat stomach because we're not getting to the, the root issue, the core issue. And so, you know, I, I, it's just our, how we relate and how we feel in regards to our body and with food is just our greatest teacher. There's just so much wisdom and insight and, and therapy we can receive just from witnessing what happens when we do certain things with food and when certain things happen with our bodies. But we're just not used to that because we're taught that, You know, we must chase weight loss. We must chase the perfect way of eating. So we never really get the opportunity to because no one ever has said, oh, no, wait, you don't need to fix anything. Just be with yourself and feel yourself. No one ever says that in diet culture. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Everything you're saying, I'm just like, this is so good. This is such good stuff because it, it's just so true. We we have these thoughts and instead of sitting down and taking a step back and listening to what the thoughts are, analyzing them, questioning them, we just believe them straight away and then we just act. We just like or react we just react to them straight away without actually taking a step back and thinking okay is this reaction the best like next step is it the best thing for me right now um, yeah where is it going to get me mm. just the same it's just gonna same throw cycle. me right back into the hamster wheel that I've been in for two or three decades mm -hmm. mm. yeah so it sounds like you do a lot of mindfulness with your clients as well. Because you mentioned coming back and just really being in your body and experience being in your body. So are there some mindfulness practices or techniques that you would recommend people can use to just be in their body and experience their body when they are feeling really heightened, when they are feeling those emotions, uh, negative emotions coming to the surface and they're feeling really triggered by seeing someone else in a, a slimmer body to them? What are some ways that they can come back to themselves and calm yeah. those racing thoughts? It's a great question. Uh, and again, Uh, this is such a big topic, not enough time in the day to just, you know, cover it all. But essentially, sort of to backtrack a little bit, when we've died it for a really long time, or when we've dealt with negative uh, body image or body dysmorphia, and not have not felt 
comfortable in our bodies, chances are we've been living up here in our heads and not in our bodies. We've kind of disconnected ourselves. And this often happens too with trauma where we disassociate. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people who are dealing with food challenges, there is usually some kind of deeper trauma that's underlying, not always, but sometimes where they have sort of checked out of their bodies um, because it hasn't felt safe or comfortable to be in their bodies. So this is an issue when it comes to how we eat, because we then don't feel food in our bodies. We don't know what it feels like when we're hungry. You know, every single client that I've ever worked with has said to me, Anna, I don't even know what I feel like eating in any given moment. I have mm. no idea because I've been living with food rules forever and other people, so-called experts, have told me what is the best thing for me to eat and I just follow that. Uh, so we it's a skill that we have to relearn. You know, you gave the example of peeing earlier. I always love to give this example. Pretty much all of us know what it feels like in our bodies when we have to pee. You know, we don't have to go oh, I'm feeling this pressure down there in the lower abdomen. I wonder what that means. I wonder what my body's trying to tell me. No, of course not. We know exactly. When it feels like this, I know it means I have to pee. It's an interoceptor signal. That's what they're called, the internal signals that our body sends up to our brain, and then we take action from that. So it's the same with food. You know, again, I love always giving the baby example. Babies or toddlers, they know exactly what they feel like eating. They might go through phases where they just wanted potatoes for four weeks. And the mama's all freaking out. Oh, my God, my child is never going to want to eat broccoli again. And then just like a miracle, then it's just broccoli for three weeks, right? So the child knows intuitively what foods it needs. So, um, so coming back to your question, coming back to our bodies and learning it is really relearning that skill of what does it feel like in my body to be hungry to be full to crave to crave certain foods over other foods mm-hmm. uh, is crucial in healing our relationship with our bodies and as well in the body image example that we just gave yes when there is some discomfort happening i'm being asked to go inwards and notice how am i feeling that and that is not just, oh, yeah, you just do this one step or there's not like this three-step process that you do and then you got it. You know, that this um, so with my clients, I have, I use a lot of nervous system and awareness tools uh, to help us or help them connect with their bodies. So that might be specific breathing. That might just be sitting with your body and noticing different sensations Um, So things like that. And it is totally a practice, something that, for example, I like to um, invite my clients to do when we start our work together is set a few reminders throughout the day and on on their phone. So just a little alert. And in that moment, you ask yourself three questions. You go, what am I doing? So you might be washing dishes. Oh, I'm washing dishes. What am I thinking about? I'm thinking about uh, this thing that I have to do at work tomorrow. How am I feeling in my body? Mm, I'm feeling a bit tired. I'm feeling like my right hamstring or that my right leg is a bit sore or I've got a bit of a headache. Done. And you do that three or four times a day. You just start to come into this habit of checking in with yourself rather than just being all over the place. You just come back to yourself and check in. What am I doing? What am I thinking? How am I feeling in my body? It's really powerful. 
But again, it's these things that we got to apply it. You know, mm -hmm. it's so important because what happens often as well is, um, and I see this a lot too, when we change some deep seated behaviors, they don't want to go. They want to stay there. And, you know, it's again, so much easier just to go on another diet or take some supplements, right? <laughs> if we're anxious or whatever, if we're dealing with something, it's so much easier to do all of those things rather than change our behaviors. Uh, so it's not enough to do a check-in once, one day, and then it's all good. It's just this continuous practice where we're just slowly introducing new behaviors to phase out the old ones. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of setting the, the timer on your phone as well, because I think, like you said, you can get so caught up in everyday life and you can get so caught up in being busy that it, I mean, I do. So it is so common to just mm. not even think throughout the day or you're just your thoughts are on automatic and you don't actually think about what you're thinking <laughs> your thoughts are just Correct. automatically going and they're running wild and you don't take a second to just bring awareness into your life and think about okay I'm having this thought what do I think about this thought do I hmm. want to think about this thought is this a thought that I want to continue thinking is this a thought that is serving me is this a thought I want to change so I love that idea of just setting that timer on your phone because it really, it forces yeah. you at that point because you, you hear the timer go off. You're like, it's time. <laughs> and again, Correct. I think we, we are so often focused on what habits can I bring into my life to, to be healthy? What habits can I bring into my life to be, I don't know, more structured and just more focused. And we forget about what habits do I need to let go of? to be more healthy and it can be just as hard to let go of or harder to let go of habits mm. than it is to create new habits and I know there are a lot of habits I needed to let go of in order to be the healthiest version of myself but I had to become aware of what those habits were and sometimes when they are so ingrained in your life and you're doing them every single day they just become the norm and you don't that's what a habit is right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah you don't you don't realize that they're not actually serving you those are the habits that are not actually doing you any good and might need adjusting or changing um do you ever use the the hunger fullness scale when working with clients to connect with I don't uh I usually don't in in rare cases I might um but I feel like it can sometimes lead to overanalyzing so you know like I said before a lot of chronic dieters are in that black or white ex mm -hmm. extreme it's either right or wrong it's either healthy or unhealthy and there is a real fear to just let go of any kind of control mm -hmm. and make mistakes right in, in air quotes mistakes so my big thing is you can't make mistakes with food. So while we're exploring how food feels in your body, while we're exploring how much food was good at this time and not so good at another time, we just really want to bring so much compassion and kindness into that experience as opposed to here's the scale, hang on, what number am I? Oh, you know, I might just be a seven or eight or maybe a six and a half. So does that mean I can eat something? No, I probably should wait half an hour. Mm. A lot of people who are used to dieting, they will cling to this yeah. as another thing to cling to, mm -hmm. to give some kind of, you know, perceived sense of control. 
So I try to not bring that in because it can just really take away again from the sensations of the body. And we, again, just get so much in our heads when we're just trying to come out of that. Yeah. Well, I think often those who have restricted food and had a disordered relationship with food, they have this perfectionist personality and they think that everything Absolutely. has to be perfect, especially with orthorexia, where you're a, you have this obsession with clean eating. You feel like eating has to be perfect. And when you come to eat something, it has to be right and it has to be perfect. Whereas that's just not real life. It's it's just not realistic for every single meal and every single snack that you have to be perfect, uh, which is why learning about your body is so important and being really aware and sitting down, creating a more mindfulness experience. You can ask yourself, what, like, what, what am I feeling like right now when this meal I have in front of me, is it the right amount of crunchiness? Is it the right amount of like heat that I want? Is it the right amount of spice? Is it the right amount of, is it the right temperature that I'm feeling right now? And as you taste it, like really experience the taste and how it tastes in your mouth, how it feels in your mouth, like the texture of it, the senses, smell it. So I, that really helped me when I was here in my relationship with food, just having a, an experience with eating because I think it's really common when coming to a meal to for people who have had this disordered relationship with food to eat really fast to just get it over with to get the experience over with because maybe you feel really guilty for eating the food and food is the enemy right like we said at the beginning Yeah. yeah so you just want it you want it gone you want it just over with and you don't actually give your body time to process what you have just eaten so then it again makes it really difficult to connect with your hunger fullness cues because you haven't given your body time to process that food and tell you i'm full now i correct and stop eating yes and i i think just a little thing to add when we eat really fast we are putting our body in a stress response Mm -hmm. which then affects our digestion so you know we might be eating the healthiest in air quotes healthiest meal on the planet Mm -hmm. but if we're inhaling it Mm -hmm. None of that is going to be absorbed. Our body is just going to be in fight or flight. Nothing is happening in regards to digestion. This is also why so many orthorexic people struggling with orthorexia are having digestive issues because of all the stress they're putting on themselves, that pressure of having to eat perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guilt for eating foods, all of that puts the body in, in a huge amount of stress, which really affects us. And then, like you said, your eating experience is not pleasurable. Mm-hmm. When, you eat, when you're eating something really fast, like you said, it can't register in the brain. And receiving pleasure from a meal is essential. And this is also something that so many people have to relearn. Again, they're just riddled with guilt over eating. But having a pleasurable experience is so health-promoting uh, because your, your, your fullness cues are going to be sent properly to your brain. You're going to be eating slower because... Mm. We can't eat fast and have pleasure at the same time. You know, it it makes no sense. If we want to receive pleasure from something, we're not going to say, let's do it really fast. No, of course not. We want to go do it as slow as possible. So we have the most amount of pleasure. And this is the same with food. Then the food will register in our brain. We're going to receive all the different taste buds, you know, the sweet, the sour, the salty, the umami, the bitter that will all register in the brain and then we're having this satisfying experience and I'm sure people can relate to that where you you like if you're eating a meal and it just hits the spot there's nothing quite like it like you take a forkful or a spoonful and you eat it and you go 
Oh my God, that is just so good. That is a satisfying eating experience. And we don't always get there. And that's okay too. Sometimes it's just not possible. I've eaten meals where I've gone, yeah, that was all right. Wasn't the best. I'm not really feeling satisfied, but that's okay. Uh, sometimes I, I, I might start eating a meal and I go, mm, something's missing. What's missing to make it a more complete, satisfying meal? And then I might have to add some salty cheese or some mm-hmm. toasted nuts or, you know, just because I needed some crunchy or more fat. Um, so again, there's no hard and fast rule. There's no such thing as eating the perfect meal. It is a constant invitation to explore your journey with food and it's never the same it's not set in stone you go through different phases where you'll want different foods so we never arrive at this place we know always people think if I work really hard at this I'm going to get to this perfect eating place as if life was a constant but our bodies change life changes we're in different climates different seasons different internal phases for women different times of the month right Uh, so it's never constant. It's, it's a, it's, the only thing that's constant is the change that we experience for what we crave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to prepare ourselves for the flexibility of life. Instead, Which is tricky for people mm. who, you know, have been leaning on the control, controlling part of dieting. It is. It is. It's so hard mm. to get out of that mindset of being able to control every single thing that you eat because it... In, in life that's just not realistic something might happen something uh, I don't know you you get called to somewhere for work you get called to a different location you have to travel for work and suddenly you're faced with different foods you're not able to eat those foods that are part of your your normal routine and that is just a part of life and it's about learning to add more flexibility into your everyday now so when that thing happens that is beyond your control you know you will be okay you'll be able to go to that that event that whatever it is that work meeting that is beyond your control and come up at the last minute and know that you will internally you will be okay with that that's why I think it's so important to start practicing now in a safe environment in your own home start practicing that flexibility so you can deal with those uh, things that are going to come up in your life that you just cannot control absolutely yes yeah well I'm getting very conscious of time now so (laughs) I know that's what I mean we could just go on for another three hours (laughs) I can just talk about this forever but I really really appreciate I mean everything you have said has just really hit the spot for me so I know it's going Mm. to resonate with a lot of people listening to this podcast so I guess finally where can people find you if they want to follow you and work with you where can they find you Sure. I mainly hang out on Instagram under I am Anna Sari. Um, So that's where people can find all the details of what my program entails, what it looks like to work with me. I share a lot of my just personal day-to-day experiences with food, with my body. Um, So yeah, that's the best place to get more of an idea of who I am, what I do and how people can connect. Amazing. I will link it in the show notes as well. So people will be able to see your Instagram name in the show notes. And do you, you work with clients one-to-one and group coaching? Is that right? I'm just about to launch a small group container. So I up until this point, I've just been working with clients one-to-one. But I really see a value. I I don't, I'm not a big fan of big groups in the space because 
you know, there, there can be a lot of shame associated with these behaviors and not women aren't always so keen to share it with the world, so to right. speak. Um, so I'm just doing a, a five, maximum of five women um, to come together because I realize there's a value in also sharing like we are, you know, we're talking about this openly and other people can receive value from that and feel like, okay, I'm not alone. Um, so yeah, that's launching very soon too. Exciting. And five is a really <laughs> nice number. Five is a really nice number, agreed, yes. (laughs) That's really exciting. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Everything you have said has been amazing and so insightful. So I really appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge and expertise. Thanks so much, Lauren. Such Such a joy and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.